Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 Friday is here. A huge college football weekend, NFL Week 5 slate, and much more. And we're live from the 6th and Peabody Studios with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us. You can communicate with us on social media, Outkick 360. Just search us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Find us wherever you download your podcast, plus across the Outkick Network down in Alabama up in Kentucky, Knoxville, Tennessee, and everywhere in between. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. It's uh, the weekend's here. I feel like there's no need to hesitate. Let's just get into it because it is a huge weekend ahead. Big NFL game last night also that we can discuss, but this is a prove-it weekend for a lot of teams across college football in the NFL. You guys are on the road in a hurry, and I'm on the road in not a hurry. So you guys will be there in plenty of time. I am cutting it close, and uh, it'll be another travel adventure. We the show. Uh, here's the question, Paul. So Hutton and I are going to College Station this weekend. Outkick the tailgate, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern time tomorrow across all Outkick channels. You were headed to Jacksonville. You know that I hate Jacksonville. I've never been to College Station, Texas, but this is College Station, Texas. It's not a big place. Will I come back liking College Station more or my experiences in Jacksonville more? Well, I think your overall hatred of Jacksonville makes it hard to top. But no, I did I, like Jacksonville Beach. Yeah, Jacksonville Beach is not bad. Um, but I think that you'll like College Station more um, as you experience some, some atmosphere. I will be in Jacksonville for less than 24 hours. I am. That, that's, that's a, the that's way a it quick, should be. That's a quick trip. That was Hutton and I in Gainesville. Which may include we uh, which, that, that 24 hours may not include the first 10 minutes of the game. We uh, will check in with Jill Savage, who is going with us to College Station. She'll meet us there. Uh, she's coming up and joining the show in 30 minutes. Will uh, she be in her car? Uh, no, not yet. Not yet. Because she's, she lives in Texas. So she doesn't have. She gets have, a late start. Yeah, she she, gets she the, will be driving in a little bit later. Yeah, we, I think she should go to her car in her driveway. Just to uh, get, like, a scene setter? Yeah, so we always have the feeling of her being in motion. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this uh, getting ready for the road trip. Jill's just going to join us with the seatbelt on, similar to Austin Price. Yeah. But parked or not, even if she's well, she driving joined us, She joined us last Friday uh, while Chad was at the bachelor lot. party. Jill joined us from an Exxon <laughs> on the nice. side of the road. Uh, she'll join us in 30 minutes. Bobby Carpenter on the show today. That's in about an hour and a half, around 320 Central, 420 Eastern. And then the Tennessee Power Hour gets you ready for all things Titans and balls related. That's coming up in the final hour of the show. The Ball Quest Power Hour kicks things off with Austin Price. That will be at 5 o'clock Eastern. But uh, I'm excited to talk with Carpenter a little bit later, and we can start here. This is the biggest college football weekend of the season thus far because of what it could do to impact the college football playoff and beyond. 
what if Iowa and Oklahoma both win, and where does that position them for the college football playoff, knowing that we expect Alabama and Georgia to win? There could be a lot of shifting going around, plus Cincinnati's in the mix. Well, and I would add BYU to the mix if we're going to add Cincinnati. But the, the consensus is that Cincinnati is in over BYU. If you just read the, the national columnist, the, the, the question is, can the non-Power 5 get in? And whenever they reference that, it's Cincy. I, I, I realize what BYU's doing, but everyone's talking about the Bearcats instead. Yeah, I mean, I know everybody's talking about Cincinnati, but I would disagree with the national columnist. I, I do think that BYU – and look, I think it's not a given. I think both would have a good argument if they go unbeaten, but I would give a slight edge to BYU given their, their resume. But we'll see on that. Penn State-Iowa, uh, we're going to get into my games of the week soon. It's no surprise. This is the biggest game of the week. And if Penn State wins, they stay alive in playoff talk. If Iowa wins, guys, I think they're going to do it. I well, think they're going to make it to the playoff because you look at the remainder schedule. They got Purdue at home, at Wisconsin, at a terrible Northwestern team, at home against Minnesota versus a terrible Illinois team, at Nebraska. At Nebraska to close the season on Big. Thanksgiving weekend would be their last test before facing either Penn State again, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. Those are the likely teams right now for the, the East, the, the Big Ten East in the championship. I mean, that's an undefeated run you're looking at. Iowa has a tendency to slip up in a game you're not expecting, even when they've had undefeated seasons going deep into the year. But I think if Iowa can win at home over Penn State, am I crazy here thinking that it's almost going to lock them up for a playoff spot? Because even if they lost the Big Ten championship, I think a one-loss Big Ten team has got a great claim to one of those four spots. You think two Big Ten teams? I mean, if it's Iowa, yeah. I mean, if we're saying that, then sure. Well, here's so unless you think Michigan or which they can't because they're going to play each other, but there's going to be a one loss team. If Iowa beats Penn State, there's going to be at least a one loss team on the other side. Ohio State could run the table in the Big Ten, but they lost to Oregon. So it would be an undefeated Iowa team taking on a one or two loss. Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, or Michigan State so if in that Big Ten championship. If it's Iowa, Ohio State, and Iowa beats Ohio State, Ohio State's not going to the playoffs with no. two losses. No, I'm, and I'm not saying it's definitely going to be two Big Ten teams. Yeah. I'm saying Iowa, if they beat Penn State, I am. it's Alabama, Georgia that I'm putting at the top, and Iowa's the next one. At that point, if they win this game, Damn. the Iowa Hawkeyes are the team that everyone's going to point to and say, there's your third playoff team right now. And then there's a semifinal, and Iowa probably loses big to Georgia or Alabama, and everybody says, hey, we're talking about expanded playoffs, but the semifinals aren't even good. I think uh, if if we're continuing to play out the hypotheticals, if I were Iowa, I'd much rather play Georgia than Bama because the way Iowa is built and the way Georgia is built right now with not, not great quarterback play at Georgia but good enough, they could probably keep it closer with Georgia. Bama's going to score 55 on Iowa and run away with it. And it's the opposite, Paul, of what we're going to see, at least I expect, with Iowa-Penn State. Penn State has a top-five red zone defense in the country. Iowa has forced seven turnovers just last week, six picks just last week. Um, So I'm expecting an old-school, low-scoring affair. Take the under in Penn State-Iowa. 3 o'clock Central, 4 o'clock Eastern. Take a uh, take good chunk of your afternoons. I'm looking forward to it. It's not going to be a very cold day 
uh, in Iowa City uh, over the weekend, but this is going to have the look and feel of a November old school Big Ten game where it's 10 to 7 in the end. I don't think it's going to be that low scoring, but Hutton's right. This, is, this has got defensive slugfest written all over. And what, I mean, year after year, they, Iowa's defense puts out some of the best players in the secondary. Um, and I'm not just talking about the interceptions, but they, they don't allow catches. Um, it, it was uh, Hankins last week that did not allow a, a single catch in the game against Maryland, an offense that's putting up 500 yards on average per week with uh, Tagovailoa at quarterback. I, I, I was really impressed with what they did against Maryland. I'm trying not to read too much into a 50, what was it, 51-14 blowout on Friday. But the, the idea that Iowa can't score is not true, but it's really about their defense and their secondary. Because with all these high-flying offenses, and I know it's not always the Big Ten style, but they swarm. And it starts with the secondary forward for Iowa's defense. Always strong. Well, and it's, it's going to be difficult for Penn State to score, much like it was in that first game against Wisconsin on the road for Penn State. Uh, that real struggle in that game, especially in the first half. I predict a similar type of game. And I, I don't know. I'm not going to make a pick yet. I will tomorrow on, on Outkick the Tailgate, but this is one you could see going either way, but it's going to be a low-scoring It's like 17-14. And I think people yeah. automatically assume Iowa doesn't score a lot of points or move the ball a lot because the reason I said earlier this week, they're, they're one of the few teams that still plays prominently with a fullback. Yeah, you know, Tyler they, Goodson running the football. They have a look of an old-school team. They're right. not this high-paced, you know, fast-paced uh, offense that you see all over college football. They, they don't spread it as much as other teams, but what they do is very effective. And if you want to look at a guy who's – I've always talked about Wisconsin having that identity. Kirk Ferentz teams tend to have an identity. Hutton mentioned the secondary players they've turned down in the NFL. How about tight end? When tight you look at Iowa well, yeah. teams, you think tight end, you think fullback, you think steady, consistent quarterback that's not going to make the big mistake. And they're very fundamentally sound. They know exactly what they're doing on offense and defense. It's a good program. It's a solid program that's got a chance now for at least a year to be an elite program makes you and kinda, make it to a college football player. Makes playoff. you kind of like them, uh, in my, um, for me anyway, because they're unconventional. Used to be conventional, right? That yeah. used to be what football looked like. Now it's an outlier. Well, and props to Penn State as well. I mean, they're, they're the first team since the 1989 Vols um, to start the season 5-0 and after finish, starting the season last year 0-5. Yeah, I mean they they've turned it around step. with Sean Clifford. So I mean they it's it's in, it's impressive what Franklin has done this year and the role that they're on in the collision course that both these teams are on for the playoff. And and they've been close in the past. They've been they Penn State's always had that one loss in the middle of the year that keeps them out of the playoff, right? That one upset. This wouldn't necessarily be the upset, but this would be the hurdle to get past. Uh, who does Penn State have coming up after Iowa? Is it a tough stretch? Yeah, I mean, they still have to play. I'll, I'll look it up You're right, right now. Because people were talking last year like this would be Franklin's last year, and it wasn't because he was going to be going to USC or somewhere glamorous. It was because of, uh, they thought he was trending down. I mean, look, he's a year ago, James Franklin didn't have the clout with his administration because of a very disappointing year, and people were asking the question, is this – now, the start of a trend, or is this a one-year hiccup? It looks like a one-year hiccup, obviously, with what Penn State's doing now for James Franklin. So this offseason, you know, he flirted with Tennessee a year ago, and I think probably would have taken that job if the circumstances were right and the offer was right from Tennessee. He's going to have his pick 
I think, you know, name the jobs that are open. If LSU comes open, USC, I think James Franklin, he could stay at Penn State also. He can probably name his price at Penn State as well. So he's going to have his pick. So after this game, Hutton, you asked Penn State schedule, Illinois at home, then it gets tough. At Ohio State, at Maryland, at home versus Michigan, then they get Rutgers and at Michigan State to end the season. So the difficult part of the Big Ten East is all ahead of Penn State. They haven't played any of the big opponents yet, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, left in that division. Well, and then Michigan has Nebraska this week, which is an interesting uh, uh, matchup, to say the least. Uh, that's a night game uh, for the Cornhuskers. Michigan then will play and host Northwestern before that matchup with Michigan State that could also be potentially two top ten teams two weeks from now. Uh, pivotal week in college football, and we haven't even hit on the, the SEC headlines. We'll do that later in today's show. Uh, big week across the NFL as well. We will give you the matchups to watch in the National Football League headed into week five. Plus, Jill Savage checks in as uh, she begins her trek to College Station to meet us for Outkick the Tailgate tomorrow as Texas A&M hosts Alabama. All of that and more straight ahead on Outkick 360. Coming up in 30 minutes, Chad Withrow's top five college football games of the weekend. Jill Savage from Outkick the Tailgate will join us uh, in just a little bit. 15 minutes from now, Outkick 360 rolls on from Yeehaw and Old Smoky Distillery right here in the heart of Music City on this great Friday afternoon. Uh, it's going to be a great Sunday as well across the NFL. Uh, some big games Sunday night, of course. Buffalo takes on Kansas City, but beyond that, uh, some pivotal matchups for some banged-up teams. Cleveland Browns. You've got Baker Mayfield, who's fighting through a shoulder injury, a partially torn labrum. Um, it's going to be a lot of Kareem Hunt, a lot of Nick Chubb in this game for the Browns. They're on the road, uh, two or three-point underdogs against the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, that's a late afternoon kickoff. Beyond that matchup, you have the unbeaten Cardinals hosting, likely Trey Lance, and the San Francisco 49ers, um, and what is a good defense for San Fran, middle of the pack, but a good scoring defense. Green Bay and Cincinnati is another interesting matchup in week five, that and much, much more. But it's, it starts with Buffalo and, and KC, where the Bills look to do what Baltimore did, and that's down the Chiefs after this franchise has dominated the rest of the AFC for the last five years. This looks like a slug-it-out game uh, because Kansas City's giving up points, and they're giving up yards. Um, 30, they give up 31 a game. They score 33 yeah, on average. And Buffalo looks equipped to handle that and maybe to play some defense. Well, not just play defense. They have the top-rated defense in the league. They allow, on average, 11 points a game, and they score 34. You got to give them credit because last year, uh, and, and we've, we're talking a lot about this in Nashville, looking at a team yep. that had s serious deficiencies, and how did they address those deficiencies? That they've improved some in some categories, but they've left some holes. Buffalo didn't rush the passer well. I don't have the stats in front of me in terms of how they're rushing the passer, but for them to be playing that level of defense, they're clearly solving problems, um, and. <clears throat> That's what you need to do when you're on the cusp. I think if you compare yeah. Buffalo to the Titans, Buffalo's on the cusp and seems to have done good work 
making the, the moves that turn you from a contender, uh, you know, take you from the level of contender they were last year to on the porch. Um, and they're going to have a chance Sunday night to show everybody just how, how good they are. And Kansas City, while it still has its bread and butter, like we can go out and outscore anybody, is really susceptible. I mean, you stop them a couple times now, and they're very beatable. Um, Am I crazy to think that it's a disappointment for Buffalo if they don't score 40 or close to it in this game? If the yeah, league average against Kansas much. City's defense is 33, to me the, only, disa- yeah. the only disappointment for, for Buffalo is not surpassing that with their offense. Well, see, I think they can score 30 and hold Kansas City at 23-24. I mean, I, I think they could also lose 41-38. to They could. Which is no crime. I'm just saying, it, to me... This is about Buffalo's offense holding serve against what's been a poor defense so far. I th- see, I think they and can do it. scoring a lot. I think they can do it multiple ways. I think they could hold serve like that in a toe-to-toe thing, but I also think they could get some stops. Uh, get some stops and be stopped once in a while themselves and play you know, more of a regular football game where not every possession is a, is a score or a touchdown. Buffalo's defense – already has 11 takeaways on the season. That's amazing. They they are plus seven in turnover differential. That's tied with the Cowboys for the best in the league. And only two defenses have allowed less than 60 points through four games. And it's Buffalo and Denver. And everyone was touting Denver starting 3-0. Just, you know, they had the easy schedule, the quote-unquote easy schedule. And, and it was easy based on records of their opponent. Um, but Buffalo's only allowed 44 points through four games. That, that's, I mean, averaging 11 per game, and that's after the terrible second half and really just the terrible fourth quarter in week one against Pittsburgh. And, and that's what's crazy is, uh, you know, two of those opponents so far, have they played the Jets also? Pittsburgh and uh, the Texans, obviously bad offense at this point. But you want to talk about weird outcomes early in the season? Are we going to look back at Buffalo losing at home to Pittsburgh, not just now, but at the end of the season, and think, what in the world was that? Well, they lost. Of all the strange week one things that can happen that's not indicative of the remainder of the season, that may be close to the top yeah. of the list. Yeah, and they were outscored uh, big time in that second half. They led, what, 21 nothing um, or 16 nothing, something like that at halftime, and didn't score again. Uh, the Bills have wins over the Dolphins. They won 35 nothing in week two. They won 43 to 21 against Washington, and then they blanked the, the Texans 40 to nothing. They have the Chiefs this week, and then there's a matchup here in Nashville against the Titans. Buffalo is fifth. Oh, no, sorry, I'm in the, in the wrong category. I'm trying to look at their sacks per pass play. Um, that's that's off, offensively, though. They've clearly gotten better at areas that, that I just respect the way they're putting it together. Um, and, well, and, and there was talk about them wanting to be more balanced there in this offseason. One of the, the focus to try to run one of the things was be, yeah, be more balanced with their run game. And uh, they, they started that in week one and didn't run it all that well. Um, again, that was against Pittsburgh's defense. Uh, but but since then, they, they have a one two punch in the backfield with Moss and Singletary, and they're doing better in that. And there are elements of their pass game that are extensions of their run game. They're averaging three sacks a game, 12, 12 sacks, which is a nice number that a lot of teams would trade for. To Cleveland, uh, uh, um, you know, Baker now has to be very much a game manager with that shoulder. And I think they're good enough to, to get by in a lot of circumstances with that being a defensive football team and a run-first football team. But ultimately, you're going to wind up in a game 
against uh, a Buffalo or Kansas City come no doubt. A, a, a Baltimore in your division, a Cincinnati now who's looking legitimate where you're going to need him to make some big plays, and is he going to be capable of doing that given, given the shoulder that's going to linger? Well, it's not going to get better because you're going to get hit. They are capable of continuing to win. They lead the league in rushing averaging 177 yards per game. Which is terrific. But on the day that somebody stops you, can he make the plays that you you need given what's going to be a long-term issue well, for Well, if, you, if you're rushing for a 150 and with their defense, because they can rush the passer, with their defense, you can ask Baker Mayfield to throw it 25 times. You know, you want him 22. 25, 20, yeah. You want on attempts, you know, you want him 17 of 25, whatever it might be. And you can still win and be in games late, which is, I mean, that's the slugfest that they want. They, so it's Cleveland, Baltimore, Tennessee, Buffalo. Those are your leaders in rushing right now on offense, all in the AFC. Dallas is in there too. Dallas, yeah, Dallas is there too. But those are the, four of the top five rushing attacks in the NFL. Yeah, the question, though, Buffalo is to me those is chunk surprise plays. That group. Can, oh, well, absolutely. it's Josh Allen that's helping yeah. with it. Yeah, the, And that's a surprise. The question to me is, and, and we'll see how he looks throwing the ball this weekend, can he, can he sling it? Are they going to get any chunk plays off of that run game, Yeah, which, which is the formula? If you can't get those chunk plays, then people can creep forward make the run game more difficult, and you're going to have to drive the ball all the time, 12 plays. You're not going to have four-play drives. and uh, well, it's, it's just it, a tougher formula. I still like Cleveland a lot, but when I saw that come across the ticker last night, I was like, eh, it's I, I still hard. like Cleveland too, but this is a huge barometer game for them about what they're going to be moving forward. If this is, it's obviously going to be a lingering issue for Baker Mayfield, but really tough opponent in the Chargers on the road, and – a chance to kind of show, is this the model now for Cleveland? Is it different than what it was before? Or does Baker Mayfield go out there and look fine? You know, I think this is going to tell us a lot, not necessarily win or lose about the rest of their season, but the way they look in this game is going to tell us something about what Cleveland's going to be moving forward with the Baker Mayfield injury. I like both these teams a lot. Chargers, by the way, allow the fourth most rushing yards. Defensively, that's an advantage. Yeah, it's not a good, not a formulaically good game for them. Um, they, which fourth most puts them around 135 yards per game. Um, also I, means they defend the pass quite well. I presume. Yeah, they're three and one, and, and they're also very efficient in holding and possessing the football. Third down passing with Herbert has been excellent for LA. I mean, he is money on third down. Uh, Cardinals hosting the 49ers uh, last night. Uh, within the same division, Seahawks at home on Thursday night football. They lose Russell Wilson. Geno Smith comes in, and the Rams already had the lead. Smith played well. Receiver fell down on the final possession, um, and he throws the interception. Geno came off the bench and played fine. Um, led them to a touchdown drive. Rams already had the lead, and the Rams now get back in command of that division right behind Arizona. You know my rule. Don't fall down. Yeah. Um, especially on that play. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's curious to, to see how Russell Wilson can, can play with that thing. They're calling it a sprain right now, but I imagine there are uh, further tests to be done on it. Well, and, it, and it's different can't... for him because he's throwing the football. It's his throwing hand. And um, I remember Matthew Stafford in Detroit had this issue, and he had to wear a glove. And he, finished, he was able to finish the season – 
but it's not it's it's an injury that gets better with rest right and there's no rest there's no rest the thing is i don't recall seeing much guys hit their hands on helmets all the time and it causes problems i can't remember seeing a guy hit his finger on an arm you know and that's what happened here he caught his finger on a rusher's arm and kind of split the finger on the arm I don't remember seeing that before, and I was thinking that's weird because yeah. it would seem the potential for that to be frequent is 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 right there. Stafford had a, a finger issue as well that he was able to play through, but it but it was problematic. I didn't flip over till halftime, and both guys already had uh, finger issues. So uh, I hope Stafford's doesn't crop up as a thing for the Rams either. Um, but uh, Seattle, I mean, is in they're, they're almost done. Yeah, was anyone else shocked that Geno Smith played as well as he did in that game? I was. I, 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 was I didn't too, think they would be in the great. mix at all once Russell Wilson went out. Not, he performed well up until the one throw that we mentioned. Rams went down there and got a key touchdown to, to kind of make it the two-score game that, that, that meant that Geno Smith playing well there didn't mean that much because they kicked that field goal. and then. I thought it was big that they got Robert Woods involved offensively for the Rams yeah, just looking at look yeah I mean the targets for Cooper Cup it was one of my prop bets earlier in the preseason of just him leading the league in targets um, he was doing that anyway without Matthew Stafford he was doing that with Goff and Stafford I mean they look his way every play and I mean it, I would too I mean he's a great player but they they need some evolution with their passing game. They got it last night with Robert Woods, and that's a nice boost and a one-two punch that uh, you know maybe they, they continue to show more of that moving forward. Cup might be going for the Ryan Fitzpatrick beard look. I saw a post-game interview. So? He's, he's working on it. We are headed to College Station right after this afternoon's show. That's uh, Jill Savage, her state, Texas. Her state. She joins us, uh, host of Outkick the Tailgate. We will be live in College Station. Uh, Kyle Field will be in the backdrop as we broadcast live from Texas headquarters in Aggieland tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock Central, 9 o'clock Eastern. Jill, hope you're doing well and hope you're ready for another big weekend. I am doing great. Yeah, so my state, I'm just going to warn you, we refuse to believe that it's fall here. I know you guys probably already have your bags packed there because yep. you're going to go catch a flight. Uh, but it's going to be 91 degrees here today <laughs> and tomorrow. So we, we haven't gotten to fall yet in Texas. Jill, what's it going to be like uh, doing the show tomorrow in the shadow of Kyle Field as opposed to doing the show in the shadow of the Florida baseball field? which was a 35-minute walk away from the actual football stadium in Gainesville. How much better is that going to be? I, I think that it will be a much better scenario for us. I think that, uh, well, I hear that we also have a nice gas station behind us, too. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, we have to keep the ambiance with, with Texas. We can't have things like be, like, too nice for Outkick the Tailgate, but, you know, level up. Right, as Sierra says. It's going to be a tremendous background tomorrow, so Jill didn't want to take anything away from that and give us no background today. Uh, do you have a mop ready for <laughs> she Chad? Just, she just Listen, moved in. She just moved into a I new place. I just moved in, and okay. there isn't anything in there. Like, I'm trying to hide. I, I'll even show you guys. Like, there's a sound system nice. on my wall. Like, nice. I don't, I don't wow, know fancy. how to cover that. Uh, it's, it was here. I don't know what to do with that. It's too big, <laughs> protruding from the wall to, like, put a picture over. You have mechanics. You'll get, you'll get creative. Here. Do you ha- Can you unpack a mop, or will you stop at Home Depot to get something ready for Chad's head if it's going to be 91 degrees? <laughs> uh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, maybe I should throw in 
some some extra like wet wipes some napkins and and all that i should because this is my home state now so so i should be the one that comes prepared to for chad and all of his sweat yeah it, it just keep me out of the sun i'll be fine if i if i've got shade over the top of me it'll be just fine um jill by the way a minimalist that's all she is she doesn't want anything in the background White wall. She, just, she lives with what she needs and, and that's it jill uh what will happen if if i do in fact mess with texas while i'm there what, what is the recourse for that I, that's a great question. Uh, Chad, I think that with your uh, your charming personality, I think that you could talk <laughs> your way out of any of these situations. I think that you could come down and, and mess with it because what I learned is like Texas, the Texas that I moved into, I moved here a year ago. I don't think that Texas, like you, you probably would have gotten in trouble in the 80s, in the 90s, in the 2000s, 2020s, Texas. It's like, nah, all right, you know, just do your thing. You guys know it's a litter slogan. That was a litter, it really? it's an anti-litter campaign uh, at the Don't start. mess with Texas is yeah. an anti-litter campaign. I, did I mean, not it know took that. off from there, but it started as an anti-litter campaign. You learn something every day. What PK, would bring in the facts. I like it. What would happen, Jill, if, if Chad arrives in Texas and says Tennessee is the real UT? Well, there well, I'd be I okay. Think they, and, and the fact that you're both orange and burnt orange, like they, they, would, they would fight you in the streets, I think, then. They yeah. would actually care about that. <laughs> I would be a hero at A&M where we're going for saying yeah. that about the University of Very Texas. True. But in Austin... Yeah, it's not that far from Austin, though. N- not so much. Uh, we are going to Midnight Yell tonight, I, I believe. Uh, is this your first experience also, Jill, taking this in? This is my first experience. I'm going to try and get some naps in um, because we have Midnight Yell and then we have a 6.30 call time the next morning. So I'm really looking forward to this no but in all honesty i really am i think this is going to be really fun it's like a once in a lifetime thing that they're they're letting us in and, and we have you know the full range to go do whatever we want thanks to clay and his crew they're they're letting us tag along so i am i am beyond excited for this one tonight jill savage with us from outkick the tailgate and uh, you mentioned how we're we're leveling up week to week we're, we're leveling up on the uh the social media experience tomorrow during the show uh, with some poll questions, and we're, we're about to tweet one out now that will set us up for tomorrow's show. Give us ex- an example, Jill, or, or the lead-off question on social media for tomorrow's Outkick the Tailgate. Yeah, so our first social media question that we're going to throw out there is, which team is more disappointing this season? Is it LSU or is it Texas A&M? And I, I mean, for me, if I can just kind of jump in and lead this all off, uh, I think that Texas A&M is the answer because I think that when you look at it, LSU was disappointing last year. Texas A&M right now, you look at it, and they were supposed to be a top-10 team. I understand they had quarterback issues, but when you look at that defense, they were second in the nation in rush defense last year. They're 71st this year. There are all sorts of things that you didn't see coming uh, with this Texas A&M team. So that's that's where I would lay my chips. Yeah, and, and Chad, I would say it's LSU because they haven't had the quarterback issues. They were really they were not good last year with five losses, and they haven't done anything to correct those issues in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I, I would lean to saying LSU just because we're going to be in College Station, to be completely honest. You're smart, I, Chad. I, I You're may smart. be swayed by that, but I, I'm with Jill on this one. It, it's A&M. I mean, LSU, with all their problems, could go on the road and beat Mississippi State. X&M couldn't beat Mississippi State at home. Uh, th- they've got big issues uh, with with A and M, and I you can just put it all on the quarterback got hurt, so they're not any good now. But I I just with what Jimbo Fisher has well, done in they, recruiting and what they've built, they should be able to to 
be okay when that happens and not completely free fall. What, and it appears they're completely free falling this year. Yeah. Um, they also went to the worst quarter. They went from a, a serviceable starter, at least we think so, with Haynes King, to the worst quarterback in the SEC. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a big drop off there at that position. Well, I, and you know, it's a great I, poll question, though, Joe. I'll go to this too. Whose fault is that? Uh, Jimbo Fisher is well, a quarterback guru uh, that recruited Zach Calzada. Right. Zach Calzada was a three-star prospect, which is a bit surprising. Um, but you know, this is a guy who made his mark grooming quarterbacks as an offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. So, look, it ultimately falls on Jimbo Fisher. I get that it is a drop-off. There's no doubt about it. And that, that's to explain a lot of this, but I don't think it explains all of it. I think LSU has, has more ills from last year that they didn't correct, uh, which makes it more disappointing because they thought they had some things fixed. Well, only one of the two coaches are in danger of losing their job, that's for sure. And it's not Jimbo Fisher. Well, that, that's right. Uh, Jimbo will probably get into the race yeah, next offseason. Extend it. Yeah. Hey, Joe, we, we let off the show discussing and previewing Iowa and Penn State. Your, your Hawkeyes, um, where are we going to go find this game tomorrow afternoon? It's, a, it's about time, Hutton. I thought, I, are we going to talk about my Hawkeyes? It's the biggest game of the weekend. You made me wait for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't care where we watch it. I am just very, very excited. All of my friends and family, like, I can tell you the level of interest from Iowa fans in this game. Usually I, it's like Friday night, Saturday morning, the text messages start rolling in. The Iowa fans have been texting all week long. Everybody is so ready for this game. And I'll tell you, nine one score games between Iowa and Penn state since 1996. They have had so many close games. Uh, I think this is the biggest game in Iowa since 1989 when Iowa was number one, taking on number two, Michigan, uh, the Hawkeyes ended up winning that game for the record, but I love this matchup. So it doesn't matter where we watch it. Uh, I will just warn you now that if, <laughs> if Iowa wins, you're going to have a very happy co-host on your hands. And if the Hawkeyes lose, as long as it's a close game, I'll try and not be too sad. Chad, my first experience watching Iowa with Jill Savage, they put up 51 points on Maryland last Friday. You're the good luck charm, Hutton. Uh, Jill's going to ask you to watch every Hawkeyes game. If they win 51-14 to 14 over Penn State tomorrow like they did against Maryland, Hutton's going to be watching every single Iowa Hawkeyes game. He won't have a choice. Jill, save a spot for for us uh, this evening. We look forward to Midnight Yell. And then, uh, of course, uh, tomorrow morning, I'll kick the tailgate. Another great edition live from College Station. That's awesome. Hey, just so you know, four quarterbacks haven't finished the game against Iowa yet this season. They've only played five games. That's what we're looking forward to this weekend. Wow. Nice. Wow. So that's Iowa's secret. They're dirty. (laughs) (laughs) The secret is just take out the opposing quarterback. Yeah, sure. Sure, Jill. Sure. That's the reason. I like that. I like that philosophy, though. Just take out the opposing quarterback, and you're fine. Jill, see you in Texas. Okay, see you soon, guys. All right, see Jill. You, Jill. Jill Savage. Follow her on Twitter, at Jill underscore Savage. Catch us tomorrow morning for Outkick the Tailgate. She's uh, previewing there, Iowa's Penn State. That will be high on Chad's list. That much we know. Chad Withrow's top college football games of the week. Uh, plenty to choose from this week. You don't have to search very far to find some great matchups to watch on TV tomorrow. He'll lay them out for you next on Outkick 360. Looking forward to going to Aggieland this weekend. Outkick the tailgate tomorrow morning across the Outkick network. We are live at 9 Eastern, 8 a.m. Central, leading you up to the biggest and best college football games, one of them tomorrow night. 
Alabama on the road, number one of the country, taking on Texas A&M. And they're a part of our poll question for tomorrow's show, which is available now. Follow us on Twitter, at OutKick360. Bigger disappointment so far in this SEC season. Is it Texas A&M or LSU? You can lay in your vote now. Read the results tomorrow morning live on OutKick, the tailgate. Plenty of, of college football galore. It's a, a big college football weekend, the biggest so far, with some marquee matchups. Chad, you could have just done a blind point test and selected your top five college football games of the week just on a dartboard because you would have had a, a good one to choose from. Can I offer my weekly warning before the graphic goes up? Sure. If you're prone to seizures, be careful. This is like the uh, flashing lights. It's a very motion colorful thing. graphic. Every, every Netflix show now has that warning about photosensitive people with flashing <laughs> lights in this, uh, in this show. I feel like every show now has that. You're going to see that here. One through eight uh, is, was very easy on this list. Nine and ten, not so much. But there are some great games this weekend, so let's get to it with my top ten games of the week. Number one, we've already talked about it. It's a no-doubter. Penn State at Iowa, number four at number three. The Hawkeyes, a one-and-a-half-point favorite. 4 p.m. kickoff on Big Fox. Game number two, the Red River Shootout. Oklahoma and Texas in Dallas. Neutral site game, as always. Number eight, Oklahoma versus number 21, Texas. Classic SEC matchup. Classic SEC matchup. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People wonder, is this the last one in the Big 12 uh, between these two? Don't know uh, with the the schedule and the the contract. Texas has really turned things around since that week two loss. Um, They... Texas, to me, is a lot like LSU and how I judge them early in the season and, and picture them now. I think Texas wins this game uh, outright over Oklahoma tomorrow. Bajon Robinson, their great running back, I think is second or third in the Heisman odds right now also. So a great running game for Texas. Uh, I think Texas has a great shot in this one as well. Game number three, going back to the SEC, just like we went for game number two with Oklahoma Texas. Still going to take a lot of getting used to about that game being an SEC game. Georgia at Auburn. Georgia, a 15-and-a-half-point underdog. Something to keep in mind. Georgia has not faced a road environment yet this year. They've been away from Athens twice. They were a neutral site game in Charlotte against Clemson. They went to Vandy, which was a home game for Georgia. We have seen teams in game number one with crowds have some issues. Remember, limited to no crowds a year ago for a lot of these teams. Alabama at Florida is a great example, where they almost stubbed their toe on the road. Can that home environment for Auburn give Georgia fits? I don't think so. But maybe this game is you know, a two-score game in the fourth quarter, and it's somewhat interesting. That's the 3.30 CBS start. At some point, Georgia's going to be tested. At some point, they're going to allow more than 4.9 points per game. Can, <laughs> can Bo Nix do what he did last week at quarterback, and run the football with efficiency. Get on the perimeter against Georgia's speed. It's a long shot. But if I mean, if you look ahead to Georgia's schedule, where are the challenges? Could it present itself tomorrow afternoon on the road? I mean, this is it. Uh, honestly, if you look down, down the schedule, I think this is the last big challenge before the SEC championship game against Alabama. But it's going to be a, a raucous environment at Jordan-Hare for this game. So... Another raucous environment is where we're going in College Station. Texas A&M hosting Alabama. Preseason, this would have been the game of the year. Everyone has circled and said, this is for the SEC West. 
Texas A&M was a top five team. Alabama, number one in the country. Texas A&M has fallen off. Bama has not. For that reason, Bama, a 17-and-a-half point favorite. That game is at 8 p.m. Eastern on CBS. We'll be talking a lot about that on Outkick the Tailgate tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern time on all Outkick channels. Game number five, this is one I'm very interested in because of the implications for both head coaches. Michigan at Nebraska. Nebraska has quietly done very well since losing to Illinois to start the season. They had a a slow start to the year in that week zero game against Illinois. They should have beaten Michigan State, who's unbeaten. They did not give up a single first down in the second half to Michigan State and lost in overtime. Nebraska hosting Michigan. Michigan only a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Michigan top ten, undefeated. Big game for both Jim Harbaugh and Scott Frost. That is the ABC night kickoff at 7.30 Eastern. Game six is one. I know nothing about what's going to happen. I literally have no expectation for this game because I don't know what we're going to get from either team. LSU at Kentucky. It would not surprise me if LSU went up up there and won by 21. Wouldn't surprise me if Kentucky won a defensive battle also. Nothing about this game will surprise me. Kentucky trying to remain unbeaten as they go to Georgia next week. With Kentucky struggles and and how they won last week against Florida, if they win, even if it's another ugly game against LSU and they win, it's hard to deny them if they win this style of play. No I, I'm with you, though. I have no idea what to expect from the Wildcats. Well, and we're, we're still going to be saying, hey, Kentucky's got a really good defense, which is going to – Yeah, exactly. It's going to do good things for you. LSU has not lost the to the Wildcats since 2007, but streaks end. Just ask Florida. Feels like a game that Coach O rallies the troops. We'll see, though. Arkansas at Ole Miss. There we go. Game number seven. Here we go. This is the defeated bowl from last week. Both teams – Thought they had a great team going into Georgia and Alabama, and they got whooped. Both teams now picking up the pieces. The winner of this game, I think, is the third best team in the SEC. Chad, I know we don't have much time here, so you won't have time to answer. You've blown this list. I don't know why you would fall for three and four being better than five, six, and seven a week after Georgia and Alabama dominated opponents better than Auburn and Texas A&M. But if, you, if, if criteria include good games, uh, five, six, and seven are far better games than three and four. Well, the criteria does not include good games. Criteria includes the biggest games of the week, and those two are two of the biggest games of the week. Those games suck. Because they feature number one and two in the country on the road uh, in the SEC. And if you like 30-point games, they're great. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens this week. Uh, game number eight, again, Arkansas Ole Miss winner, I think, has a rightful claim to the third-best team in the SEC. Yep. Notre Dame and Virginia Tech. Notre Dame only a one-point favorite. Going to be a great atmosphere in Blacksburg for that one, 7.30 Eastern on the ACC network of all places. Virginia Tech has already knocked off a big opponent, pre-ranked North Carolina. Can they do it again at home? Let's uh-huh. go to the non-Power 5 ranks for 9 and 10. Boise State at BYU. BYU minus 5.5 at home. If BYU wins this game, you look at the remainder of their schedule, they got a shot to go 12-0 and and be a party crasher in the playoffs. So that is one to watch. That's 3.30 on ABC. And how about the Wyoming Cowboys and Coach Craig Bolt? Undefeated on the season, they go to Air Force. Air Force minus six in that one. Um, I really just wanted to get Wyoming on the list at some point this year, so I threw them in there. And considering that they only beat UConn by five points, this will probably be my last opportunity to get my Wyoming Cowboys on this list. The BYU has also got a shot to go 12-0 and and be fifth and have a huge complaint. Them and Cincinnati. 
Wyoming Air Force, CBS Sports Network, tomorrow night. Don't count out. Wyoming. <laughs> Chad's Wyoming Somebody's Cowboys. Got a bad, Cowboys. Somebody's got a bat on that game. I would, I would prefer this game be in Laramie, but, you know, either way, don't count out the Cowboys. The college football and NFL discussion continues. We are previewing all of the big matchups over the next hour. This is OutKick 360.